Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. You say you want a revolution. Well, do you know that one? I do, the Beatles. The, uh, what made you randomly sing that? That was uh, just the revolution that these headphones are. Oh yeah, we are in a revolutionary state right now. We we, we already told you about the headphones. We're but pretty excited. It, it only took us about six months, but we've we've dialed it in. I think so. We've dialed it in. We got the, the sound should uh, be great. Good because we have headphones. We look like we're from the future. This is like a legit studio. I knew that I needed a sound from the future. I didn't know. And I'm inspired by, you know, there was some drama over Father John's Swiss flag. Once oh, yeah. upon a time. Yeah. Now I'm staring at a Swiss map. Yeah, the Jungfrau region. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I had too much. I inherited this room, and he just had Catholic stuff everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not this pious. I want to look yeah. at maps and mountains in my backpack and uh, put the rope on the wall. And I got yeah, I got Gracie got Jacobs. Uh, that she made that for me. That is a there is uh, a, a chalk made. San Damiano crucifix, beautiful. Crucifix. I got some it's nice art here. I, I got Our Lady Chestahova here. So it's is, true. No, is, you are. But I needed a little more adequately uh, pious. A little more Colorado. Speaking of which, grab your scotch, Mike, and let's offer a toast. Okay. We're gonna offer a toast to Peyton Manning. Oh and the yeah. Denver Broncos. He drank a lot of Budweiser yeah, we this week. I we can't forget that. We're uh, very happy. We, the game started. Thanks to Father Chris Lebsack, we were out of. Out of whiskey. Thanks, so he, Father Chris. He bummed us tonight. The uh, The game started at 12.30 a.m. here in Rome, but we rallied, and we watched it until they won. It went to bed about 5 a.m. Yeah, it was almost 5. Monday morning. It was absolutely worth it. It absolutely was great. Worth it. Yeah. Go it Broncos. Was, it was great. No offense if there's Carolina people, but we were rooting for our boys, and we were very happy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it was devastating a couple years ago. Oh yeah, that's what made it so Seattle. sweet. Was two years ago. It was just so bad. So, no. But Cam Newton is a great quarterback. He's gonna have a great career. He's oh, like it was thirteen a good, years very, younger very than good Peyton, team. So. Great team. So yeah, Carolina, well done. What great season. And uh, yeah, so that's to them. Now I want to ask you, what did you think of the halftime show? Oh, huh. And your girl Lady Gaga uh, singing the national anthem. You know, I kind of showed up late for that. Okay. So you didn't. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of comment. I think she did good. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't I, I mean, like, I haven't read anything, so I don't know if pop what popular opinion is right now. Right. But, um. Yeah, I don't want to knock her. Okay, let's say, go to the halftime show. Say maybe it was a little bit. So your girl Beyonce. Standard. Beyonce was awesome. Okay. I thought. Um, I did see something about her promoting the Black Panthers with the costumes. Oh, they thought it was a. But I don't know reference don't, to. It's this hard to team. tell if that stuff is like intended or if. Yeah, it's, that's weird. But I, I, no, yeah. I liked it. I thought it was a good show. It was uh, Coldplay. I like I like their music. Yeah. Bruno Mars is fun. Yeah. And uh, all that choreographed dance off or whatever it was. Made me think of Zoolander. Yeah, it was crazy. Zoolander number two coming out here. What did they do? A walk-off? Oh, the walk-off. Yeah. I was actually really disturbed by Beyonce, but maybe that's just me. I was like, this is this is crazy. I love Coldplay. But it's just the, the so, hair and the aggressive. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I was like, this is the feminine genius gone horribly wrong here. Gone wild. Gone wild. But the most disturbing thing for me, 
I enjoyed the halftime show. It was fun. You know, these are big productions. But the 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 end of the show, do you remember what they said? No. The whole stadium had these. I mean, it was a full colored rainbow of the oh, full that's right. stadium. Yeah, you have a and there big was a rainbow. phrase that was in there that said, "Believe in love." Believe in love. Believe in so love. So it was a statement. Was it supposed to be a statement? Yeah, maybe. I read it as a statement. I mean, I gave it the, bur- it the worst was. possible read. Let's be honest. It's kind of that's like kind of who I am. Contemporary politics. But I thought to myself, I've been thinking about that statement, believe in love. I've been thinking about that all week. Believe in love. Believe in love. Now, part of the reason is because the backdrop behind this is I have been studying my head off for this original sin final that I had. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I had a class this semester called The Story, The History of the Doctrine of Original Sin. And that's all we talked about. So for five days, all I did was think about sin. Think about sin. So, and the... The football game was right in the middle of that, so I wasn't probably the most optimistic of characters at the time. <laughs> we could say that, but I was thinking to myself, uh, "Believe in love, believe in love." First off, and I don't want to spend a lot of time doing this, but first off, the that phrase in itself doesn't make any sense apart from being in a post-Christian world. Those are those are fundamentally Christian terms. But yeah, that's we, true. we live Faith in a world and love. we've moved beyond, but believe in love. If you think of antiquity, that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, that's true. As a historian, I would affirm that. Good, yes. As a historian, yes. as an exegete, and as a philosopher. Yeah. That it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But only in a culture that is kind of stripping values from the Christianity, but is not infused by the soul of it anymore. Only only a culture like that could could use that and hijack it for ideological purposes. You know, yeah. Anybody could say that and mean anything. Believe by that. in love. Believe. Yeah, in I love. mean, it sounds very inspiring. Yeah. But what do you mean? What do you mean? You know, like when it gets to the nitty gritty. Yeah. I mean, what is? Yeah, you have to ask. Like, what is? What are? What are you implying by believe? And what are you implying by love? Right. What is it? What do you mean by love? Right. And and I think there's a lot of possibilities for what that means. But if you think about like the largest viewed moment in the world, you know, by the most number of peoples, this is the message we're conveying. So think of it not as like condemning the people who put together the halftime show, but more of just like this is a little bit of a litmus test for kind of where yeah. we're at as a civilization. Yeah. And I think And I think what it means is believe in humanity to truly teach us what love is, which is, I think, a very different understanding of love mm. than the Christian conception of love, which yeah. is basically anything goes. It's, it's you know, something totally different. So... I would, yeah. I mean, that I was, think... That was I, how I took it. I feel it. like we're, we're moving in the direction of getting into this, but... Well, we can get into it for a second. We, my, got, we got time. We don't have to wrap this up. It's well, 17 minutes. Well, a, so. a, th- a couple of thoughts... We didn't even banter. We're just doing. We're just doing content. Well, let's jump it. Believe in love. We're believing love. Okay. No, we got into the Super Bowl. That's. Do you listen to the darkness ever? Father Chris Lepsock loves the darkness. I like that song. I I don't really know their music. Just listen to the rhythms of the heart. Yes, exactly. That's like, yeah. There was that little. I would like to try to sing that one, but it would be bad if we tried to sing right now. Yeah. Anyways, okay. I always think it's funny that Lepsock likes that song. Well, the one is I get annoyed by cliches. I have cliches. to admit that I'm yeah. a little bit too serious for cliches and these kind of 
memes, like this phrase that you could put up, uh, already is a little bit annoying for me because mm-hmm. it's, it's not really real. It's just like, here's, here's something you can post on your wall to get you like inspired about life or whatever. Right. It can mean anything to right. anybody. Right. And it's just, it's just a phrase. And that's why people like it. Yeah. Oh, I think this stuff sells real well, but it just doesn't really have any depth and it doesn't have any meaning and it doesn't really... Like, if that's how you're living, what's your... Like, what exactly is your life? Right. And how how exactly do you, does that apply to real life? Right. You know? Okay, so I don't like that piece. And... Um, does anybody not believe in love? I guess that's the first question. Well, yeah. I mean, if everybody you say it that way... But that's the thing. That's like the old, like... It's kind of like the Lennon, yeah. all we need is love. All we need is love. All these phrases, they're so cheap. Right. right. What does that mean? What does right. that look like? I cut you off. You, you know? were saying something there. Well, I mean, it's it's this new kind of secular, we're going to you know make the world a better place by uh, talking about everybody love each other, which is nice. It's really a nice thing to say. I like that idea. And I think it does come from Christianity. It's yeah. post-Christian, like right. you say. But it does, it, practically speaking, how does this affect my life? Don't really know. Right. I believe in love. I believe in love. Okay, so there's that. And then I think, generally, I I would say the majority of people don't really analyze what is love. That means, for most people, feelings. And it means, like, what am I attracted to or kind of what drives my feelings. Right. Which is not the same thing in my mind as love. Right. That's other things. It can be all a whole spectrum of other things, but like attraction or interest isn't the same thing. Right. You know? Well, the whole question of marriage, the redefinition of marriage is based on the question of what is love. Is it is it an, is it an emotional bond through uh that's based in, in the intensity? So the we measure love by how intense you feel the emotions, or is it something different? That's the question. And I think what you're saying is right on, yeah. which is that the kind of the post-Christian conception of love is this kind of watered down, um, emotion, emotional but intense experience. But that when it fades, then it's the love is conditioned by that, and then things can be kind of redefined. Yeah, but the intensity can it can apply to all kinds of different things. Yeah, and um, it's not always healthy. Yeah. I mean, psychologists spend a lot of time sorting out attachments, intense attachments to the wrong things. Right. And it, it doesn't always make for human happy um, people. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I think one of the one of the things that's had me thinking about this so much is that, you know, we've been doing this for a little while now, you know, not that we're that old, but you know, we've been at this, you and I met. 15 years ago, and uh, we've been trying to follow Jesus for a while, and we haven't made too much progress, but, you know, we're doing what we can. But watching people um, lose faith over the years, just really Mm -hmm. kind of give up, you know, and uh, and really despair of this isn't really worth it, you know, Mm. has made me really reflect on what I think is the biggest question of the year, which is that what is, what is the unique of, about the Christian claim. Like, why are we different? What is different? 
Um, and why is this worth doing? Is it possible to live this way? And why is it worth uh, doing? Yeah. And uh, I think the uh, this answer, you know, it's a huge question. But um, segueing a little bit from the last podcast that I talked about with humanism towards what I want to talk about tonight, which is original sin, a sin. I want to talk about yeah. what it is. Yeah, he's, uh, it's Lent. Is the re- yeah, it's Lent. It's good. You can is, talk about sin. Is the realization that I seem to have often, which is that I don't know how to love. Mm. And if I want to a- answer that question, do I believe in love? Um, if I mean my love, I don't believe in my love. My love is very, very weak, and it's conditioned by uh, my desires and my interests and my preferences and my ego, frankly. A lot of it, not all of it, but what a lot do, of what it. What do you mean you don't believe in it? You don't trust it? I don't trust it. I don't trust, trust it to last. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Okay. Do you know? Did you know that I am an ungrateful bastard? Did you know that? I kind of know that. Yeah, I knew. No, I don't really know that. Here's why. And I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, entirely. here's why. You, you might in a second. Do you remember <laughs> how I made fun of the bad scotch we were drinking on the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. That was a friend of mine who's a podcast listener who gave us that bottle. Who's a very good man. Who's a very good it's man. a good friend. Yeah. Spence dog. And then I got an email from our friend um, uh, Andy Rankin, who's like, listen, bro, scotch is scotch. All right. He's like, I'm up at 1 a.m. doing laundry for my my wife so she can sleep. Enjoy your scotch. And I was yes. just like, I... First world problems. I'm going to burn in purgatory for a long time. And uh, Andy's awesome. He's a good friend. So thank you uh, for checking me. But I think about these things. Yeah. And I think, well, do I Well, that was not love. It? That was not love. That was not love. That was Father John just thinking about Father John and his needs and his preferences and... His life, unfortunately, it gets aired publicly all over the universe, and then I it gets a little feedback and try yeah. and realize that. So I don't believe in my love. I don't believe in the power of my love. I don't believe it. I don't. Th- I, I I think it's real. I think love is real. I think I really love. It's not like bad, but it's not something that I can invest belief in. Yeah. I can't center my life around. Well, I the just strength thought, of my I, love. I thought of a, a notorious example in my life, which is that I don't follow up with my friends. Yeah. So this is a kind of a Lenten resolve. You know about this. but I like to think I inspired this. People, point. yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> people will write to me or get in, get in contact. Let's, you know, I'll get an email. Let's Skype or um, just, I don't know, somebody's saying, hey, I was thinking of you or um, I got this question or whatever it is. And I let these things just sit forever and I don't get back to people and I love people I like making friends and everything but that to me is like a limit on my love yeah. I, I feel what you're saying yeah. that I don't trust that uh, I can even be a good friend all the time right you know I would like to I mean that would be ideal and there are times when I have great moments but yeah um and it's scary. It's scary to embrace that. Maybe it's more of the limit to realize the limitations of your love. The little compromises, the little, um, yeah, just the attachments that we have to our ways and our preferences. And, you know, one of the things that has inspired this is that we're living the common life here, you, me, and, and Father Chris. And um, I'm realizing yeah, I, got, I got a long way to go. I am a really stubborn common. and selfish man. And it's just, it's just kind of hard, and uh, 
So I spent all these days studying original sin, and I thought to myself, well, that's this is actually a really hopeful doctrine. Mm. And it's a very, very important doctrine because it gives an explanation for why I can't invest my hope, my belief, and my life in my love because it's wounded. Yeah. It's not the it's way it's fallen. supposed to be. Yeah. It's fallen. It's I'm made for something, but I can't fulfill that on my own. And that becomes the very foundation of the Christian life. So I'd like to give you a crash course on the history yeah. of the doctrine of original sin Well, in I, light of that. I, in a I mean... Just that that idea that it's the foundation. You know, people are good. We we mentioned this in the the humanism podcast that people are fundamentally good, but it's just a question of how deeply fallen are we? Yeah. Like, w- what does that mean for people? And if we take that seriously, um, it can really be a starting point for the rest of our life. If I admit that I'm sinful, like we do at every Mass, at the beginning of every Mass, or especially in this season of Lent, when we say, um, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return, repent and believe in the gospel, repent, you know, mm-hmm. like a starting point is you got to turn around from this fall and let go of the old man, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that homily on Ash Wednesday uh, that Father uh, Harmon gave quoted Pope Francis in saying, pray for the grace this Lent to yeah. realize you're a sinner. Yeah. That sounds crazy, but it's it's actually very, very at, at the very heart of it because you can't have redemption, you can't have grace without... Yeah, if this, you don't need it, if you don't salvation. Need it. And I, I looked at that and I was like, they don't need it, right? Coldplay doesn't need it. Beyonce doesn't need it. The all Cam Newton, Peyton Manning. Well, Peyton Manning gave a shout out to God. That was beautiful at the end of the. the, So who knows who actually needs it? People are a mystery. But what was being conveyed, at least to me, in my state of um, exhaustion and uh, sleep deprivation, was the world doesn't need God because we believe in love. We don't need God as love because we got love. And we're love, and that's John Lennon, and that's everything. Well, I don't think that Super Bowl necessarily was saying. Well, I'm just giving we don't you need, one man. We don't need God. I'm giving you one man's interpretation of that. Believe in love, but I do think believe in love. Yeah, if you just if that's our if that's our creed, our right. modern creed, right? Then where's it gonna where's it gonna take us? Okay, it's just not gonna go very far. Yeah, because you could true. believe in your love of football uh-huh. and never love anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, love people. Um, you can believe in your love of music. I just talked about music on the podcast. And then not really love, you know, what is it? What is it that you love? You can believe in the lo- love of yourself and then be trapped, mm-hmm. you know, enslaved in the same love. And this is the difference is that you got that optimistic Minnesota. But I don't. I, it's just like, yeah, well, and, I mean, I don't want to take reading, it. I'm reading Simone de Beauvoir, who was Sartre's lover. So this is existentialism, who said this about humanism. This is the bridge from humanism. And then I got to get going on the topic here. Yeah. Because this is all banter, I guess. This oh, is all pregame. Is no, this is good. This is probably better than what I'm going to talk about next. But I, I hear this and I think. This is the world that we're living in. And and the Super Bowl, kind of vaguely, whatever, but they're they're promoting that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Well it's, this is what it's Simone, true. This Simone is de Beauvoir. An expression of the reality of our time. What defines all humanism, human, go back to our question of humanism. What defines all humanism? So what's in the best interest of humanity? Is that moral world 
is not a world which is imposed, something alien to man, and to which he must try to find entrance from without. No, it is a world willed by man himself. So what we're talking about is this concept of what we could call auto-transcendence. We can transcend ourselves through our love, and if we are existentialist, which a lot of this in the last century is rooted in, then it's about we define what love is for me. That's Sartre, that's Simone de Beauvoir, that's Nietzsche. I create the value yeah. which conditions my life. Yeah, we make everything. And that's what's really terrifying. But the thing is, we can make everything really cheap. Yeah. We can make everything McDonald's. Yeah. And then you never eat real food, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what we're, we're doing with love. Yeah. No is offense, Baselli family who are in the McDonald's Oh, industry, sorry. So. <laughs> Burger King. Uh, I do like a Big Mac, and I love McDonald's breakfast. Right. We can't say anything on this podcast without offending thing, somebody. Well, I understand what you're I'm saying. I'm just trying to, you know, it's an, ana- it's an analogy. Right. There's something beautiful about the depth of humanity and the depth of the possibilities of love. Yeah. But if we keep qualifying love to mean the lowest common denominator or just watering it down, right? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not just saying whoever's watching the Super Bowl or putting on the Super Bowl is, is doing that. Right. But that is a temptation for us right. and for humanists is to water down these important things like love, so that they don't mean anything anymore. Exactly. And they're very easy because we can just use it as a slogan yeah. and then not not really feel anything, right. not really have to invest anything in life. And the people who play in the Super Bowl, fine, do what you want to do. That's It's the world. What really drives me crazy is the church falling into this temptation. Peggy, Charles Peggy, the great kind of poet-philosopher, uh, who was a communist and then converted back to the church, um, he called it the temporal heresy, where the church just aligns itself to the world. And we've seen this, you know. Believe in love could be the opening hymn at Mass at your parish next Sunday. It certainly <laughs> was the, the primary basis of catechesis that I had as a child. I mean, it's just the church has sold her soul. And one of the reasons is, is that because the 1950s world, which was so evil, was so obsessed with sin, which is partially true. But then we reacted and we threw sin out. We threw everything out. And everybody's a nice person. Everybody's going to heaven. And there's no such thing as sin. And we're all great. So let's celebrate how great we are. We believe in love. Let's sing, let's sing a song. And, and, and it's just like, it, it, that's what's embarrassing to me. And I read this yeah. quote from DeLubach. Sorry to keep quoting things here. But he was like, when the church tries to do this, it gets really pathetic. He said, um, so he's talking about the loss of transcendence, the temporalizing of the church, of losing the eternal. He says the church at this point loses her soul and she would be reduced to a mere human inst- organization and a totally effect- ineffective one at that. Yeah. That's what DeLubach says. And I think that's oh, true. The that's world good. looks at the church and says... Oh, that's very Lenten. I know, very the depressing. church... The world looks at the church and says, it's about time you guys got on board with our project to make a world a loving place. But by yeah. the way, you're really ineffective at helping us because yeah. you got all this other stuff. And I'm just like, man, this is nuts. We got to get back to the foundations. Well, yeah, the thing is, you take your slogan and then show me, you know, yeah. prove it. And the fact is, I've been hurt by people. I've hurt people, but I've also been hurt by people. And 
uh, that suggests to me that not everybody's good all the time. Yeah. yeah. You know? And if you look around the world, the real world, and this is maybe too serious for people, I don't know, but it's it, there is a very uh, fallen reality to the whole world right. that is sad yeah. and it's true and is real. Um, but there's something possible about fallen things being able to love. We get into this thing. Part part of this whole watering down thing is y- y- you turn the world black and white. There's good people and there's bad people. It's like a comic book. There's heroes and there's villains, right? And I'm always the hero. And the people I love, the people I know, they're heroes. Right. And then there's bad guys out there. Right. Well, the fact is, we're all bad guys <laughs> and we're all yeah. potentially heroes. Right. That's the, that's the mystery of the fall and of life. Right. And if you take it seriously, then you admit, I can actually hurt people. Right. I can actually do evil, but I can actually be redeemed and I can do great good and I can live, I don't know, something more profound. Right. I think that's true. And that's the work of grace. But if we don't understand sin, we can't understand grace. Yeah. So can I give you a, a five-minute digest of my last six months studying original yeah, sin? Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to... No, that's great. This is, this, is, this is more important than... I believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythms of the heart. <laughs> yes. The, uh, Very nice. Okay, here you go. So let's go back to St. Augustine. St. Augustine is writing in the fourth century, and he is a bishop in North Africa. And he is, uh, the, Rome, the empire is collapsing. Like, the Roman Empire is just falling apart. The barbarians are coming in, they're smashing everything. He's reflecting on human nature, but he's reflecting in a particular way on Genesis chapter 3. Mm-hmm. And Paul's reflection in Romans chapter 5 and chapter 8. Okay. And Augustine says, there seems to be this thing, this reality that we could call, let us call it, original sin. So the phrase itself comes from Augustine. But it's in St. Irenaeus 200 years before, and it's in the scriptures, right? The, the scriptures are not a handbook, and they're not, it's not a, a bunch of ideas, but we have to formulate ideas in order to defend and to articulate things. He's dealing with a number of heresies and a cultural situation. But Augustine gives us the first understanding of original sin, mm. namely that the original man committed an, an act of disobedience against God, against the will of God, and by that caused and affected through inheritance, through generation, sin in all of us. Mm -hmm. So Adam represented not just some dude, but he was all of humanity. And Paul really stresses this in chapter 5 of Romans, as you know, as a biblicist. And so the concept of original sin begins to be reflected upon, uh, which is that in one man all of us fell and all of us sinned, and likewise in one man, Jesus Christ, all of us were uh, saved and redeemed and purified and perfected of that sin. Mm. So Christ can be called the new Adam in that sense. In terms of redemption, you, you know this stuff. Well, just to add a point, before Augustine, there was a strong conviction that we were in need of salvation. So from as long as we can remember right. written history, right. there's been evil or fall in the world. There's been problems and uh, need of a savior right. or need of something to help us. Uh, there's a, something weak in humanity. And so Augustine was putting, uh, making, kind of putting definitions on these things and giving it language so right. that it could be exactly. articulated. 
And gives, original sin is a way of talking about this has been there from the very beginning, right? And um, af- affects everyone, right? And and that's exactly right. And he even says that he says we can call this original sin, but this has clearly been there for all of salvation history. So this is not something I'm yeah. inventing. He literally says right. that I, I am not inventing it. this. I'm not inventing this. The the concept, the doctrine of original sin has always been there, but it, it took a formula, an expression, an articulation in Augustine, and then it got refined and worked out. So Augustine defines original sin primarily as the stain of guilt and concupiscence. Concupiscence is just a fancy word for disorder. So things are crazy inside of me, mm. right? I, uh, I got three Toblerone chocolate bars over there. On Ash Wednesday, I wanted to eat all three of those chocolate bars, right? Yeah. Disorder within my soul, right? Yeah. That's concupiscence broadly understood. And uh, guilt is the, uh, is the experience, is the kind of the existential way of describing what happens when I turn away from God, right? I've broken, commu- I'm made for communion with God, and I've, and I've lost that, and I'm turned away from Him. And you recognize that. And I recognize that, and that's that. called guilt when I feel that. Mm. So guilt's not a bad thing, right? Guilt is a, is a realization of the state of things. So he talks about the stain of guilt, the macula, yeah. uh, and then concupiscence. The stain of guilt goes away with baptism, according to Augustine, but concupiscence remains. Yeah. Okay. That weakness, yeah. that tendency to exactly. want to do something destructive. Exactly. You know, self-destruct. Fast forward a thousand years. St. Thomas Aquinas is going to take Augustine's thing, purify it a little bit, and he's going to take this guy, St. Anselm, in the 11th century, who says who defines original sin as the loss of original justice. I was explaining this to you on the way to my final, trying to prep for this. Yeah. And, and Aquinas says that original sin can be defined as a privation of original justice, um, but he also ties in the, the um, Augustinian sense as well. So he says, materially, we could understand it as concupiscence, but formally, we have to understand it as um, the loss of original, the privation of original justice, mm. which is the same thing as sanctifying grace, which is the same thing as um, supernatural life. And this is what's cool. When God created us originally, yeah. he created us with sanctifying grace. We were given the gift of participating in the life of God. So yeah. there was never a time where we were just like, kind of like bros hanging out in the garden, and then we fell, and then we really became bros, and got lazy and controlling or whatever, and then Jesus gives us grace and everything's awesome. But we, this, we were originally made... With yeah. sanctifying grace, I find that incredible. Yeah, it's like heaven. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was really. This is the way we were made, and this is the way we were supposed to live. Yeah. So when we experience this, and we say believe in love, there's something in us that says, yeah, we're supposed to be living like we're supposed to believe yeah. in love. And sanctifying grace, uh, another way might be saying perfect love of God and neighbor. Exactly. And that is kind of the tie with justice. Yeah. That we ought to love God and neighbor mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah. But we've lost. The the justice between uh, our relationship between a right relationship between God and other people uh, through sin. Right. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just to imagine that world is a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. So Aquinas is saying there's real sin that's transmitted through the effects of original sin, right? Uh, so you're born with sin in you. My yeah. little godson, Micah, who I love, who I baptized, he was born with sin in him. Uh, I baptized him. The sin was removed. The sin was gone. But the concupiscence remained, so he's still got disorder in his soul, in his little little body, in his little soul, uh, just like the rest of us. 
And that's going to have to be worked out through the Christian life, through the work of grace. Now, this is... Hold on a second. Okay. Luther... Rad, uh, Luther has an experience where he wants to do this Romans thing, and he justifies Augustine as supporting him. And he sa- and Luther says, "Original sin equals concupiscence." Hmm. The whole the whole thing. This is a huge distinction between Catholics and Protestants that begins right there. Catholics say concupiscence is sin, or excuse me, concup- or original sin is a real sin but it's really removed and concupiscence remains. Protestants say original sin is concupiscence and it's not removed, which means that baptism does not remove the fundamental sin from your nature, which means your nature is fundamentally sinful, which means that every act, including love, that follows from that act, uh, every human act is sinful in some way. You can see how we get to the total depravity of Luther where he would definitely freak out when people are cheering, believe in love. Catholics, we say, were wounded. But it's possible. Mortally wounded, but it's possible to believe in love. Yeah. Just listen to the rhythm, rhythms of the heart, you know. Yeah. And, but that's a fundamental distinction that happens in the 16th century, and the Council of Trent has to make these clarifications Yeah. Uh, in light of that. Go ahead, Dale. Well, and to kind of build on that, and so Luther's sense of salvation is not that we can actually restore our life of grace, our perfect relationship with mm-hmm. God and with neighbor. Um, this deep love, this profound love that we don't even, we can't experience anymore, um, which is our vision, is our vision of heaven and has been the Catholic vision of heaven for a long time. You know, The, the restoration of perfect love and this relationship of perfect communion. For him, it's just... God will not hold these things against you. Right. You can continue to live forever as the sinner that you are who is loved by God. And you know the love of God, but you are always in that state of um, fallenness. Mm-hmm. You're always kind of wretched. And uh, it's very sad for me to think uh, that a lot of people believe that yeah. and believe that that's the limit of our possibility. Yeah. And, and that God's... God's salvation, the power of the cross, is limited to just saying, God won't be angry with you anymore, even though you're pathetic yeah. and miserable yeah. and a mess. Yeah. And in heaven, you're going to be pathetic and miserable and a mess. No, it's like you can be perfected. Right. No? right. That's that. Yeah, the Lutheran, I think it's a beautiful Lutheran thing possibility. is so now, despairing. Yeah. Now, not every Lutheran follows this same line. Right. I, a, a lot of them just kind of go in for more like a positive, right. kind of optimistic um, taglines right. rather than following old Lutheran theology, right. although many are trained in that. Um, and a lot of Protestants are kind of varied in their perspectives right, yeah. on grace. and, uh, But, but um, I mean, th- these are profound distinctions that uh, have a really serious effect on the way you look at life and yeah. people and yeah, and your own life and your possibilities. Yeah. Okay, one final thought, and then we got to wrap this thing up because we're getting there. I like it, though. Original sin. That's very Aquinas right. defines sin. Sin, this is all kind of, there's three kinds of sin. Original sin, venial sin, and mortal sin, but we're just talking about original sin. But all sin could be defined as adversio a... Uh, Deu, 
et mm-hmm. conversio ad creatorum. You have to translate. So you get that? So yeah, it's so like every sin is defined as aversion from God, turning away from God, mm-hmm. and turning towards a creature, a yeah. creation. Yeah, yeah. John Paul, in his memory and identity, says it shows that every there's no such thing as a totally evil act. You're always looking for a good. Yeah. And when anybody's turning away from God, they're always turning towards something. So the person who rejects God and and you know is pursuing whatever drugs or sex, they're pursuing a creaturely good, right? Yeah. So there's the adversio ad, ad deum, or turning away from God and turning towards the, crea- the Creator. What we want to do is we want to have everything back in reference to God. That's the Christian project. Mm. But I thought that was a really interesting definition of sin. Yeah, and it's a good way to kind of do an examination of conscience. Yeah. Can I check the things, the creature creatures that I'm attached to, right. all the things that are not God, right. all the things that are stealing my love, you know, can I identify those things and right. try to adjust or whatever? Yeah. Um, Augustine says something similar with uh, Book 10. He says, Ad ecce intus eras, ad ego foris. You were inside, but I was outside, attached to the outside yeah. things, attached to the creaturely things. When you, the creator... Were calling me from the inside, and I, I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't listen to you. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, we could talk about this all night, but we got to wrap this thing. Wait, down. but I have one more. Okay, I go have for another it. question. Go for it. So, oh man, but this is like very—I don't know. You can pass on this if you need to, but um, we talk about things like genetic pre—what do you call that? Um, predisposition. In, in psychology, you'll talk about genetic predisposition to things. For example, some alcoholics will say, I am genetically predisposed. Right. It's worked into my DNA from a history in my family of alcoholism or substance abuse or whatever it is. I think you could say this of other things, too. Um, anger, habits of anger, right. habits of lust, things that work out. Um, and are passed on from generation to generation. It's hard to tell, is this um, from our biology, like our makeup, or is this from our how we've been raised and the influences we've had, things we've been exposed to, all these things. But I think those are involved in questions of original sin. From the very beginning, I am subject to influences that I can't really control. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't make all of my choices on how I respond to things and how things affect me and this kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm just wondering, like, has anybody applied some of these concepts um, to more, like, contemporary questions of... Yeah, that's a good question. Things like genetic predisposition. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that... uh, I think it could be good. It could also be dangerous in the sense that we're talking about the entirety of the nature being wounded, so body, soul, mm. the whole bit. We don't want to just say it's it's a psychological or a um, physical reality. It's the entire human nature is stained or wounded, um, and so how far you can get with the sciences in that yeah. empirically, I'm not sure. But I think it could be really interesting. I think there's a lot of people. Well, who and are you don't want to get it, trapped you know? in. A lot of people think sort of in a deterministic way, where right. you say if 
my biology is this or this, or, right. you know, I have whatever, this is some sort of predisposition, then I will be like that forever, right. or right. that's who I am. Right. And grace definitively says that is not the case. Yeah, and things can change. Yeah. You're Even not, biologically. Yeah. You're not subject solely to that. That's We could go on on this. Okay. So, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Shout outs real quick, and then we got to hustle up here because I can just see Goble looking at his watch right now. So, go well. Paul's Outreach Ministries and Students at Johnson County Community College. That's a shout out to you guys. And then I got one more from my friend Amanda Grubbs. Amanda and Joe have a little guy named Leo. And Leo listened to our final podcast where we sang The Parting Glass. And every time Leo hears The Parting Glass now, he lifts up, lifts up his little sippy cup and he sways it back Attaboy. and forth. True Irishman. So. Oh, I Thanks, love Leo, it. for for bringing your sippy cup. We got Thanks, our sippy Leo. cups as well. Um, I got one for Father Michael Casey, who nice. is uh, yeah, he's still he waiting for the forty bus. <laughs> he's still waiting for the forty bus. You know what that is, Casey? Uh, Father Dave Nix. Oh yeah, who I hear is just now starting to listen to the, yeah, the podcast. Great. He's uh, he's a good friend of ours. Because he knows his stuff pretty well, but. Uh, and he, he gave me a little knock on the pot bag. He didn't like this, the suck bottom. It wasn't pot quite pre- precise, but <laughs> Father Dave, I love you, and uh, I'm thinking of you. Uh, Jen Melcher, do you know Jen Melcher? I think so. She's Yeah, she's a friend from Colorado, good Catholic. She's involved in theater at uh, the University of Colorado. Nice. And uh, she's a fan of the podcast. Oh, thank you, Jen. Okay, that's it. Basta così. Andiamo. Basta. Okay. Enough of the sin. Repent. Turn from your sin. Sin. It's Lent. You are dust. And Look dust forward to shall Easter. Return. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Long one tonight. But we hope you're having a good Lent. And we'll talk to you soon. Ciao, ciao.